still crying Your pain is now through Please forget those teardrops Let me take them from you you are blessed with this world's waiting for so let out your heart please please from behind that log Hello again and welcome to I've Got a Beatles podcast with Dave and Chris and we are going to go behind that locked door today in our first of a two-part series on George Harrison's 1970 album All Things Must Pass and we were deciding, you know, we're looking at, at topics for the year and of course uh, anniversaries are, are a gimme, low-hanging fruit and we've got four, well five at least, uh, solo Beatle albums to get to or to discuss or to p- potentially do and this is the biggest of them and it's a, a, a just too much we felt it was too much uh, to do in one episode and also too important I think there's just a lot of issues and a lot of things that that are important for George Harrison and his career uh, to get into so here is part one yeah yeah it's 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 a lot to just the first side here the first uh uh two sides of this three uh album album is a lot yeah <laughs> a lot of meat on the bone mm-hmm. to uh, devour you know sometimes we do these uh pod uh, album track by track podcasts and it's like a re- kind of a chore to listen to the <laughs> I agree. You know, uh, Ringo the Fourth a, f- a sixth time in a week. Uh, but this, I was like, uh, run it back, repeat it, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. it was like such a joy on a week where we had a snowstorm and currently we're uh, negative uh, wind chill factor here in Chicago. A real boost to the spirits yes. to listen to these uh, amazing, uh, uh, unbelievably full of depth tunes here on the first first side here. Definitely, definitely. And to, before we even get into the songs, like these, the meat on the bones, uh, thinking about George at the end of the Beatles here. So he'd come out with two solo albums or two solo efforts so we had the wonderwall music which was a soundtrack to a film mm-hmm. then we had electronic sound which i know you spin a lot one of your favorite uh oh yeah <laughs> you have you like the remastered version particularly uh <laughs> so pretty weak fare uh getting things started and then he'd had you know this is not anything new to to you listeners i'm sure but he had all these songs backed up that he tried to get the other Beatles to perform and to get into, uh, and we'll talk about them as we go through. But they tried some of these songs on the, in the during the Get Back sessions, and uh, and it just didn't work out. And so it seemed like a huge revelation when this album, this three disc 
set came out in November of 1970. So where was this guy? What what has he been doing? What, what, what's 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 the deal with George Harrison? Yeah, a really uh, amazing uh, collection of songs that he that he'd stocked up. Some specifically about the issues they were having in the Beatles. Yeah. So I think one of the things that makes this album so great, obviously all the songs individually are really fantastic. A lot of the songs are talking about things that, you know, when you really get into where that did that song come from, it is about the Beatles breakup. And so it, I think uh, a lot of us love this album so much because it also kind of like allows us to grieve the death of the Beatles mm. in a way, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's a lot of break. And even, even the songs that aren't specifically about the Beatles kind of are like, it's cathartic in some way. It's and, cathartic in some yeah. way. And it's like, it makes it okay. And Hey, there's, there's love and, and, and God to turn, turn yeah. your sights to rather than, you know, so it's a lot. Uh, there's a there's a lot here. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of these are love songs. A lot of these are songs, uh, p- possibly about God, spiritual and at the very least. Spiritual yeah. at the very least. But it it sort of like those kind of work. I think for the Beatles fan, uh, a year, uh, really right as they're breaking up, kind mm-hmm. of like trying to process the breakup to get this great collection of great tunes from. George that we wouldn't have gotten really right well, that's true so yeah because so, as yeah. as you know and if you've listened to any of the bootlegs of the get back sessions uh, you can hear the other Beatles were not too enthusiastic about what George had to bring in even yeah. though his songs were probably a lot better than some of John's and a lot better than even some of Paul's so he yeah. was he had really I think this album shows that George had almost if if not an equal to John and Paul, he certainly had made leaps and bounds and much uh, much most improved. I've always said he's the most improved Beatle, and yeah. I, I think this shows that he's really on a level uh, up with the other guys for certain. You know when when he quit during the <laughs> Twickenham Studios debacle. Yeah, it really was after that. Right after that to get him back in the in the group they had to concede to some things and i think maybe they were a little maybe john both john and paul were a little blind to their own attitudes yeah towards george and this woke them up i think and they they were able to go in they were able to do abbey road which we talked about a lot last year but he had all these and i think like some of the songs he had uh been writing and presenting to the band that they were ignoring that we we will we will talk about some of those individually here. I think he pulled them back and didn't mm. was like, "All right, well, you didn't like these, so screw you." I'll say I'm them. not going to yeah. I'm not going to give them to you. It's they're they're almost too important to yeah. me. Yeah. to waste they're not going to be received correctly or or, or or taken seriously enough. It, uh, the cathartic ability to just like do them the way you want i think uh, adds to the energy to the uh lustful <laughs> sort of like uh joy of this masterful album really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Right. And think about, let's see, what was John doing for his first solo real, well, in his 1970 solo album, he's going through primal scream therapy and uh, recording a really raw album. Uh, You got Paul also recording a very raw album at home by himself, basically. And then here you've got George, uh, which... (laughs) coming in with Phil Spector and putting everything but the kitchen sink on this album, getting every big name person. uh, Yeah. When we go through the list of people on this album, it's really a who's who of rock music, English rock music. And at that time, and it's uh, amazing. So he's able to pull all these forces together in such a way that uh, it's just very, very impressive. The amount of people on this album. <laughs> yeah. Is it it's... like a Ringo album? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely sorta. Uh, yeah, sorta. Yes. I, I think so. And I think it works in, in many in many ways it works. On many tunes it works. Wawa is an example. Yeah. You know, uh to have that many people. And in, in other places it probably uh Let's down the tunes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. There. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you think overall as uh, on Phil Spector and the whole bringing Phil Spector in and all that, Dave? Well, that that raises a lot of interesting questions because we've talked about Phil Spector with the Beatles when we discussed uh, the our little debate about Let It Be, whether the album was you know, did Phil Spector ruin Let It Be. Because yeah. you know what you're going to get with Phil Spector, uh, for the most part. He's into the, the, you know, the wall of sound, the, the doubling, the tripling of sound. And this album, I know George Harrison later would regret it. And he talked about how you think we went a little overboard with the overdubs and it was too much the wall of sound. And if you listen to a lot of the demos, I can, you know, you, you, you understand that. However... I will say it is fitting on a lot of this album. And there are some songs, by the way, that don't have the wall of sound. Uh, but, yeah. but I think it fits well. I think it's it, it, it kind of gives it that magisterial epic feel uh, that, that fits some of these songs in, in a way that it would, if it didn't have it, it would be a little sparse or a little thin. I, I agree. I agree. I did want to play, though, from the George Harrison uh EPK that came out at the same time as the uh, remastered All Things Must Pass, the one with the two discs and the little booklet that has the uh, concrete <laughs> yeah. in the background, sort of like a little joke about how the world has changed since yeah. the the first uh, issuing of this. I believe this came out 30 years afterwards. So uh, in this EPK, uh, Jules, you'll hear Jules Holland asking George a question and then he'll answer it pretty uh, succinctly. So let's let's hear what he... And it, and it goes to the recording of the album. When you got the tapes back out here, were you... Was it... Uh, what did you think? When you, you mean 30 years to... later? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I thought, God, too much echo. So, uh, too, too, too much, much echo. echo. <laughs> oh, God, too much echo. So, so, yeah. and he mentions uh, in that too a, a specific song or two that he he, he thinks, and we'll, we'll get into that. He thinks there was maybe a little too much production on, mm. and I agree that on a few of these tracks that there's too much, but on other tracks there's it, it, an amazing like 
uplift of the tune yeah. i think because of of it too so so i think overall phil specter this might this probably one of his top things he ever did in his entire career mm-hmm. including all of the great work he did at uh, you know in the motown days and all yeah. that so even though uh, you'll if you read a lot of the background story of this album it was kind of a disaster. Uh, Phil, like it, like it would become with John Lennon in the mid '70s with uh, rock and roll. There were a lot of problems here too. Phil would come late to sessions; he wouldn't show up, and George was sort of running the show. And then, you know, t- I guess maybe we should say it's typical, I guess, of how he worked. Uh, but kind of scattershot, and but it, it eventually came together, and he did put it all together. So, uh, yeah. But it, I I, th- I agree. I I think Phil Spector gets a bad rap a lot for this work and for the Let It Be work. Uh, but I, I don't know if I understand people who only want to hear just acoustic songs all the time. I don't I don't know. I, it's I think it's interesting, and I hope if there's ever a an All Things Must Pass box set, hint hint, that we would get yeah. all those demos. Because I think they're great and important, but there's something that you lose if you don't have the collaboration of the musicians and and putting it all together. So that's what I think. This it's the spirit of all these people that make this album really what it is. It's not just George. It's he, yeah. George works best when he's surrounded by people he can collaborate with and support. So yeah, totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Uh, obviously, the album did well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Triple LP topped charts around the world. Yeah. And he was the first Beatle trivia to have a solo number one single in both the UK and America with My Sweet Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we have with this album? We have the uh, a lot of slide guitar, which we were starting to, George was starting to work on in the Beatles, but lots of slide. Uh, you've got, and then we've, we'll talk about all the famous people that are collaborators here. But one other thing before we get into the songs a little bit, uh, George had been playing with Delaney and Bonnie and Eric Clapton right before this, mm-hmm. and so he'd he'd been getting a certain style and playing with a certain style and uh, and hanging out with with Derek and the Dominoes, which l- who would later become Derek and the Dominoes and Clapton. And I think that those guys really make a big impact here too. So it's it's that. Layla-esque sound from that period. So George was a sponge and soaked up like all the Beatles and uh, yeah, filtered them through his songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into this first uh, right. first uh, a portion of the album here, Dave, with why don't we just straight up start playing the first track on the album, which is I'd Have You Anytime. Let me into your heart 
So I'd have you any time a Harrison Dillon composition, that is Bob Dylan, and yeah. written very interestingly. You can find this on YouTube. Uh, there's a very, very rough version of George and Bob singing it together. Uh, this was written when George went to Woodstock to have Thanksgiving with the Dillons and the band in 1968. And yeah. You can hear them uh, playing it together, I think, in Bob Dylan's house. Uh, Dylan wrote the chorus of the song. So Yeah. Uh, and you've got some nice uh, lead guitar work by your favorite and my favorite. EC. EC. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that trip that trip to go hang out with Bob Dylan is uh, such an important uh, yes. trip. I think just like boosted his confidence yes. and, and uh, maybe his presence helped Bob Dylan out too. So yeah, uh, just, a really, just a really important trip in the history of the Beatles mm-hmm. or the history of George and the history of, of uh, everything. Yeah, yeah. So good song. It's uh, I think it's a nice opener. George found the major major seventh chord on this album. There's a lot of songs that have a major major seventh chord, which is a kind of a sweet. It's the first chord of the song, kind of a sweet sound, and that's what Clapton plays over. So beautiful music. Yeah, lyrically, uh, I'll let you handle that one. But uh, I like. I mean, the the chorus that Dylan writes is pretty simple but effective. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a gentle song, yeah, and a gentle, gentle, sweet love song, mm-hmm. and so for for such a bombastic album to start with, <laughs> yeah, such a sort of light kind of soft opening like this, it, it just works really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, obviously, the other thing it sets up is that <laughs> this is an album where you're gonna get perfection as far as guitar work yes, yes no matter if it's uh ec or if it's george or whoever i think phil Spector's quoted in saying like oh george is a per- beyond a perfectionist yes right? <laughs> yes as far as getting getting uh his guitar parts right you know mm-hmm. so um yeah really really great way to start the album and uh uh Pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty, pretty great song. Yeah, good opener, and yeah. it's followed by the aforementioned huge, huge hit that I'm sure we'll have a lot to say. So we'll listen to it. Uh, let it, let it announce its presence here. Uh, My sweet lord.
Well, you fooled me there. I I thought, uh, <laughs> why did you play the chiffons? Here, here, he's so fine. Where'd that oh, come it from? Was just, uh, I don't know. It just was in the back of my head subconsciously. <laughs> yeah, just kind of must have hit the wrong button. Must have, yeah. <laughs> Well, you've just opened a can of worms, haven't you, here on this one? <laughs> so, yeah. my sweet lord. Well, where to begin on this one? I mean, just some factual data. It was a big hit. As we said, it was a number one hit. Four weeks in the U.S., and uh, I think it was in five weeks in the U.K. It was very, very popular. Uh, Billy Preston, who's on here, too. He, remember uh, when we did our Apple Scruffs episode on Billy Preston, he had recorded the song before George, so George kind of gave it to him. And then uh, you've got all these people. This is where, like, uh, to me, the Phil Spector bigness works well because you've got George and Clapton, Badfinger, Billy Preston, Gary Wright. Uh, you've yep. got a harmonium. We've, we've got at least Ringo and Jim Gordon, maybe Alan White on drums, Klaus Vorman, maybe Peter Frampton, and then all these, uh, the George O'Hara Smith singers, which are George's vocals, Clapton, Bobby Whitlock, female vocalist, and Phil Spector. So huge amount of things. Yeah. A giant mega hit of a song that uh, very impactful and for uh, many reasons just has become like, one of, if not the, right up there with Imagine is the most covered uh, Beatles solo song. Uh, yeah. Just dozens and do- I mean, the list is too long to even just name some names mm-hmm. of people who <laughs> have covered my sweet lord yeah. uh, over the years, including George himself. Yes, later on. <laughs> uh, on the version that came out in... Um, 2001. 2001, there's a uh, My Sweet Lord 2000 that I'm not too fond of. Uh, what do you think of the song overall, uh, Dave? Well, I think it's in interviews I read with him or read about uh, the song, he wanted to make something simple that was kind of a like very like a mantra, a very kind of simple, repetitive, religious type piece. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it is very much that. So it's simple. Was this was influenced? There's a song called "Oh Happy Day" by Edwin Hawkins, and some would also say that's almost this is almost a rip of that tune as well. Very similar sound, and uh, which is also a very simple kind of gospel-y tune. So it fits in well. Can we can we listen yeah. to that, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of "Oh Happy Day" by Edwin Hawkins. Oh yeah, you can definitely hear the influence there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Oh Happy Day. Mm-hmm. So 
is a, yeah, so as a song, it's extremely effective because it builds. It starts out with just the acoustic guitars that are full of too much echo, according to George. And, <laughs> and then uh, it just builds and builds, and then you get all the the chanting at the end of it and everyone singing. So it is very effective. It's well put together and well done. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you think? What's been your thought about My Sweet Lord? Well, you know, um, just as a listening experience historically, I, I I kind of like, you know, you hear it so much, yeah, and it becomes one of those that you kind of like are like, yeah, I'll listen to something else. Right, I've heard this one before. Yeah, but uh, kind of sort of being forced to listen to it all week, it. It's often just stuck in my head. Yeah, yeah, very often catchy. Just, which I think is is the the entire intention. And you, you, you read, uh, I don't know if it's I Me Mine or, or somewhere else, and you read, and he's like, what I wanted people to do is be singing along with it and singing hallelujah, and before mm. you know it, they're singing Krishna, Krishna, <laughs> and yeah. showing that there's, in his mind, no difference between the all the religions, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, it works as far as that goes. It works as a song that gets stuck in your head, yeah. and it and it is an enjoyable, great song, great guitar. There's nothing not to like about it, right? You know, except so, the little factor of uh, where it may have came from or what. All the as you played before, that's the only thing that's controversial, really. Yeah, well, yeah. what do you think about all that, Dave? Because there's there's a lot of, you know, music copyright infringement lawsuits have uh, once again started to spark up again. Mm-hmm. Katy Katie Perry's in, in a lawsuit. Yeah. Several other uh, current musicians have been in, you know, the Blurred Lines lawsuit of a few years ago from uh, um, Alan Thicke's child right right. Uh, uh, sam smith and tom petty right that was sam smith and tom petty so what do you where's your what is your take on it do you think that oh yes most definitely george listened to uh he's so fine and is like i'm gonna take this uh uh these notes and i'm gonna put it in this song is that what you think happened no i don't think he he deliberately did that i think something that's difficult about this is there's only 12 notes 12 notes between c and c on the piano how many years have we used those 12 notes a lot how many how much music has been written well you're a, a ton so you have all these songs and all these sounds in your head all the time and i think that sometimes subconsciously or unconsciously you hear something in your head and it it comes out uh so i don't think that it was deliberate uh, mm-hmm. Because everything comes from something, especially in music. It's impossible now to do anything that hasn't been done before because you can always find somebody else who's similar. Oh, that song sounds like Tom Petty. Oh, that song sounds like Lou Reed or whoever. So yeah. I think it's it's just a you keep getting as a listener and you get you're surrounded by all this stuff and then Ooh. it comes out. Now, John Lennon criticized it in, right before he died in the Playboy interviews. And he said, and I want your thought on this. He said, uh, George knew that this was, you know, he, he, all he had to do was just change a note or two and you wouldn't have any, any of these problems. Uh, do you think that's uh, 
Well, I think it's true that it, it, it he he could have changed a note or, or or two if he had been conscious. Yeah. That he was. I once wrote a song and it's and then I listened to the song I'd written. And then I was like, you know what? That sounds a little too close to this other song that sort of might have mm. inspired it. Mm-hmm. It sounded a little too close to some other song I knew. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just switch around a chord. I'll, I'll throw a, a weird chord in here and change some notes. And then it, it was like, oh, this actually improved the song. It sounds better, mm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's easy enough to do that. There's no reason he would have not done that if he would have been conscious right. that he was aping uh, He's so fine or oh happy day or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know? Uh so the it, it's a very blurred line. The lines between ironically blurred blurred line. Yeah. <laughs> um, the lines between songs being influenced by something Mm -hmm. or like actually consciously stealing something yeah you know and what surprises Uh, me is if if he surely one of these other guys on the album would have said something uh, if they would have said george this sounds a lot like he's so fine and I don't see George saying, oh, you're just, no, nah, I don't think so. And then, cause then they just keep talking about it and you keep thinking about it all the time. Yeah. So I don't know. Isn't it, isn't it strange too, that like when, whenever you're talking about film, you're like, Oh, that shot is just like the shot from, uh, uh it, it's always like referential yeah, related. to older films. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like, Oh, he, you know, he used this from uh, Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. and he did a shot just like that. Obviously, Citizen Kane like uh, influenced that shot. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, right. But but if it's a song and it's like, oh, he's using this, and it sounds a little like that, you know, it's like oh, uh, he's it's a- like ah, let's lawsuits, and, cheat, you know. yeah, and a copy, yeah. So it's so. it's I don't know. I I someday I'd like to look at the. I think all the court records are available to see yeah. uh, from 1976 when George was had to pay up. Uh, but I'd like to see what the argument was or how, like all the legal discussion because I think there was a musicologist brought in or some musically trained person came in to explain how it all was tied together, But which yeah. of course it is. It sounds like it. You can, when you point it out, yeah. uh, it, it certainly is. But Well, we've uh, got to do a song under the microscope for My Sweet Lord sometime because, A, there's so many versions of this. Good ones. So many many great ones. Nina Simone and, you know, Mm -hmm. Andy Williams and all all kinds of different interesting takes on it. Yeah. But also to really get into that lawsuit. Yeah. The amazing length of time that it took for the lawsuit to be over. And Alan Klein... (laughs) Being such a sleaze bag that he basically switched sides in the middle of the thing. Yeah, I know, I know. He's <laughs> like, oh, I could get a payoff if I enjoy the other team. Of course. So, yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, anyway, enough but, on my sweet lord for now. Yeah. But but overall, you know, obviously thumbs up on my yeah. sweet lord. Oh sure, sure. <laughs> what are we crazy? I know. <laughs> of course. And we so, would uh, mention that there's a great. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the the couple of outtakes that have been released on the early takes volume one, there there is a very nice demo of My Sweet Lord that is worth listening to as well. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Next up, are you having a Wawa? <laughs> no, I don't need one, Dave. <laughs> so, but let's play a little Wawa. This is another one that was recorded, like you were saying earlier in the the lead up here. Uh, this was written about the Beatles or about a session or about, well, all the bad sessions. So written on January 10th, 1969, when uh, they were in the middle of the Twickenham Studios things and, and a wah-wah basically means a headache or you know, yeah. you're having a frustration. And so George was pretty frustrated, quitting and... Yeah, it was written yeah. in the quit. Right, right, in, <laughs> in the quit. In the middle of the quit. <laughs> I quit, I'm done. Yep. And then he writes the line, uh, and I know how sweet life can be if I keep myself free. Yeah, yeah. And then a couple days later, they're like, please, please come back. And he's like, well, I'm not doing Twickenham Studios, and, and you know, I'm going to get some damn respect here if, if I'm going to continue. Yeah. And then it seems like it, it was cordial at that point mm-hmm. uh, forward. So, uh, uh, really great, but, uh, man, what a great song to have come out of that <laughs> terrible moment in, and geez, it, it, we were talking about the wall of sound, uh, oh, yeah. uh working in some places and not working. It, this is where it works times 10. It yes. just like, uh, it works for me on every level. This song. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Every note in it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear this. I just immediately get a giant jolt of energy. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that kind of mirrors the the, the liberation hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> that George uh, must have uh, felt even writing the song. You know, yeah. so getting all this out. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a great riff. I mean, it starts out with a great riff right away, and that's echoed by EC, some Clapton on the Wawa, 
Yeah. And then, like you say, the everything just builds. So again, we've got a hundred people on. Well, actually, not we're not really that many people. It's more just they recorded like Badfinger would record three takes of the acoustic guitars or yeah. just keep overdubbing and layering. Uh, yeah. What sticks out to me are the there's some horns that are they get kind of swallowed, but you you can hear Bobby Keys on the saxophone, and you've got Jim Price on trumpet. So. Uh, Ringo's a, on this yeah, one Ringo's too. Yeah, Ringo's on here. So. Yeah, and the Derek and the Dominoes group, uh, Billy Preston. So, full house and just a real uplifting tune. I, I think of it best as the opener for the concert for Bangladesh. Oh when, yeah. When George, the lights come on and that's the first thing they play. It's a great opener. Oh yeah, a fantastic opener. Yeah. It was also the closer for the uh, concert for George. Yeah, that's right. That's right. With. Uh, uh, Jeff Lynn and Paul and yeah, Tom Ringo and, and, yeah, it hits you, and then the follow up. Oh, this day. is I, I. This is your tune. I know this is one of your favorites. This is probably of all time. this got to be my favorite George song solo song. It's right up there. If, if it's not my favorite, it's right up there. It's mm-hmm. just I'm absolutely in love with this, this song, and this song is isn't it a pity. What's there to say? I mean, it's powerful lyrics, uh, epic performance, and yeah, it, and it's a good closer for the first side because it's very long and building. And uh, again, the wall of sound works for this very well. Yeah. I think it, it's it needs that. But the this was an old song. Older song was started back in '66. And then Beatles did record this one, or they tried a couple of takes of it in the in late January of '69, but it kind of didn't go anywhere. So, it what what is it to you that that hits you so much about this song? Well, this is uh, pained, pleading, preaching George (laughs) is absolute best. You know, it's like Uh, everything good about pleading George is (laughs) is in this song, and uh, you would. Listening to it before you research it, you might think he w- wrote this about the Beatles yeah. breaking up. Yeah. You know, isn't it a shame that all of this has gone this way? And 
what I think works amazing about this song is he's not letting himself off the hook. Mm. You know, it's like it 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 feels like he's part of it. Yeah, he's yeah. he's taking he's ta- like how we break each other's hearts, and I think that that that's missing in a lot of songs about breakups and 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 uh, uh, romance that's going wrong and things like that uh, is one's culpability in uh, those in those things it's not always someone else's fault entirely exactly right. mm-hmm. yeah so so and maybe maybe he was writing this about the the beatles yeah. but back in 66 i i don't know you yeah. know maybe it was a, a love thing uh, uh hard to say but it it certainly works and it yeah. certainly speaks to the human condition yes you know yes. And and says something really profound about it. So I, I, I for that reason, it 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 works. Uh, once again, covered by a ton of people. Mm-hmm. Covered by my band when <laughs> we were, when I had a young band, yeah. uh, uh, we played this, and and uh, I really loved playing this song. I think it's a, such a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Perfection again. The wall of sound again works. Uh, what do you think of the? The allusions to "Hey Jude" at the end when they start na na nying, na 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 na. Isn't it a pity? I. That's interesting. You mentioned that because I wanted to mention this Ben Gerson uh, article in his. Uh, he did the review of this in Rolling Stone back in '71, mm. and he described the song as a lament whose beginning is the broken thirds of John's "I Am the Walrus." Oh yeah, and yeah. whose end is a descendant, excellent last half of Paul's "Hey Jude." Hmm, isn't that interesting? That is. I didn't think of the "I'm the Walrus" reference. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I could see that. I'm not sure he, con- once again, consciously was yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, I'll do Hey Jude," but it's the almost the exact length of "Hey Jude." It is. It is. Yeah, so. seven minutes. And eight seconds, so it is pretty much, yeah. And it has and that same fade, like it just, yeah, the yeah. length of it, yeah. It works for me. Mm-hmm. It, it most definitely works. Uh, now, version two of this, we won't talk about version two until <laughs> the next episode. We'll, we'll uh, maybe even ask why it's on the <laughs> But um, um, <laughs> it's much shorter. Yes. Yeah. So, thumbs up, that first side, I mean, all four songs are great in a row oh is that the best side of uh, i mean the future episode what's the best side of any solo it's gotta be pretty hard to beat yeah it's pretty hard hard to beat beat. maybe the sentimental journey uh ringo the fourth Uh, (laughs) oh yeah side two of ringo the fourth oh definitely well you flip the side dave and and sometimes you have records and you're like, oh, I'm going to flip the side, even though I'm not too excited to flip the side. This, this one, it's like, oh yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. George gives us really something to talk about here with the very first song on side two. And it's what is life? What is life? Well, it's a good, it's a big hit is what it is. Uh, yeah. So you've got, this one I feel is a little tame. It's still got the wall of sound, and there's still a lot of things on it, but it's more of a straight-ahead, like a, a very commercial-sounding hit. Yeah. And 
it seems like he wrote this for Billy Preston from yes. from all I read about it. Yes. In uh, I Me mean Mine here, he's like, I just wrote this for Billy Preston, and then I went to his session, and it, uh, the stuff he was playing was too funky, so I just kept <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a great tune. Uh, it's not never been one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know why. I, I mean, I like it, but... It doesn't stand out as much. Maybe it's because it's a little generic and it's rock hit type trying you know, trying to make it sound like a hit. It's a little generic to me, but played well. Uh, I like when they cut off. It's sort of like Day Tripper, actually, where you have the build in that middle section of Day Tripper and then it stops and they play the riff again. Uh, well, this is the same way where it, it builds and then you hear it stops and you hear da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and then it builds again, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, it works. It works. Not one of my favorites, but it's still great. You know, I, I, I too am occasionally not in the mood for it, I, and I don't know why. It, it is one of these songs that he, he writes so many songs that could be a love song or it could be talking about God. Mm-hmm. I would probably lean towards Haley. He wrote this for Billy Preston, so he's probably talking about uh, spirituals. Yeah, stuff yeah. In, in that. Uh, but it's wonderful. Uh, the guitar particularly is yeah. is uh, okay. really terrific. And this is the most Phil Spector wall of sound oh. of anything <laughs> on the album, hands down. It's like total, if, if some other singer was singing, you'd be like, yeah, this is Phil Spector. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Very identifiable. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, definitely, we, and we'll go out with that one when we... Uh, yeah we end the episode so what's after what is life Dave? Well, next up we get our friend bob dylan back uh, but in mm. a different way uh, we're actually going to cover one of his songs that was written around the same time so we'll hear a bit of if not for you Well, Dave, I, I know you, you like this song. Oh, yeah. But is this your preferred version of it? Do you like the Dylan better? Do you like this better? That's a really good question. Uh, hmm. I also like Olivia Newton-John's cover, which was kind of a hit, mm-hmm. too. The th- thing is, there's a couple Dylan versions. So there's the one that's on the album New Morning. Yeah. And then there's also one that... He, Biograph? Yeah, yeah. There's an earlier version of it that has is a little bit more George-like, because George plays mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And it's, so, I don't know. I I like them all. I just this has always been one of my favorite Dylan songs. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good question. I'll have to think about it. But I, <laughs> I, I this one is terrific, and it doesn't have the wall of sound treatment on it. This song, the the this particular version of it, 
uh, George and Bob had this really crazy kind of session. Well, it's more a crazy session for Dylan, but on May 1st, 1970 in New York, and they played through some tunes and jammed a bunch and uh, George, you can hear him singing. Uh, but they, they did this one and you can tell there's a camaraderie between the two. So Dylan doesn't play on this version, but his presence is there. You hear a lot of Pete Drake on pedal steel, which sounds great. Uh, George on slide and harmonica sound terrific. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I love it. Well, and of course they both did it at concert for Bangladesh together. There's some footage of that out there. Yes, they did a Uh, warm up. Mm Mm-hmm. I probably like it just a very, very slightly less than you, just this version. I find yeah. uh, sometimes the repetitiveness of the lick yeah. could be it could be drop out and come back in rather than just be so present Constant. throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I find it mildly, very, very mildly irritating <laughs> at times, but, but I'm overstating how much I, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I like the song. It's very quality, quality tune. Now, uh, following that one is uh, we go a little country here, and we yeah. opened with uh, uh, the um, it's not so country version of this, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll listen to behind that locked door, and you'll hear a, a definite, definite country Hawaiian twang to it <laughs> right off the bat. This one's really grown on me over the years. I, yeah. I you know, I, I, I used to have a real aversion to anything that even hinted at country and would just skip it immediately. And uh, how foolish! <laughs> I mean, it, this is a, a really great tune, and yeah. I guess written to cheer up Bob Dylan. Yeah, well, it's it's you know? well well sequenced on the album to have an actual Dylan song and then a song about him uh, because Dylan didn't. If if you know his situation after is he had his motorcycle crash and then didn't perform for a while and was kind of afraid to come out and play. Uh, And then he eventually did. And, uh, yeah, sort of like, we want you come on, Bob, come out behind that locked door. We need you. Uh, So yeah, very inspirational kind of tune. Uh, well, and I, that's why I think it, it, it's grown on me over the years, too, as I get older and, and we know more about depression and, and uh, maybe occasionally everybody has a little bouts of depression mm-hmm. 
from time to time. And uh, uh, what a sweet sentiment to be singing to to someone who's you know a little down and really trying to lift them up. Yeah. Uh, in this way and and show them some love really yeah uh, so very very kind song you know yeah very so, much so yeah so that is you've got a good kind of uh, more mellow i'd say a mellower group of tunes here uh you've got well what is life is pretty upbeat but then the next two are pretty mellow and the next one is kind of a goes all over the place in a way and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so let, this has a lot of history as well. So let's hear a little bit of Let It Down. to begin with this yeah so what do you think of let it down well this is the only song we've heard uh that i'd say i'm not sure the arrangement fits the song intention Mm. at all (laughs) it starts out very bombastic huge huge (laughs) what is going on and then it gets into a groove yeah uh but the song it seems like it's more of a ballad vocally yeah um, but there's so many people on this song. <laughs> there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> fourteen people on this song. Do we need fourteen people on this? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, George himself, in that EPK, he says, uh, "quote," and I'm quoting here. The studio version of it is quite good, but it's very big, you know. <laughs> if I could, I'd like to reduce the studio ones down a bit particularly mm. talking about that one this this too started as a beatles tune and i was listening to it and i <laughs> wanted to quote from wikipedia here tapes from this session reveal lennon struggling with the song's chord changes <laughs> during a run-through that authors doug supley and ray schweinhart uh describe as excellent performance by george seriously marred by john's distracting <laughs> accompaniment on guitar <laughs> And then Paul, oh my lord, Paul in the background just so starts going, let it down, let it down, let it down. <laughs> sort of like uh, dig it style. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And, and, and a couple days later, George is like, screw this, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. Because that, that recording was from, or they, they tried it on January 2nd, and he was done, and January 10th was the day he walked out. So, yeah. and 
from listening to it, it's like, oh, no wonder. It's yeah, just like, sounds awful. they are not paying attention. They're not trying to get it right. No. They're just like, screw this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hacking through. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, I'd say, on the arrangement factor, because there are uh, several alternate versions, including on, on the All Things Must Pass set from 2001 that are acoustic, and I think it does work better as a ballad, as a quieter ballad. It's, it's almost too extreme here with the huge bombastic especially for the words when you're saying let your hair down on me i mean is that the kind do you need a bombastic accompaniment i don't know for (laughs) yeah with the horns and everything going full blast i I don't know uh but it's yeah maybe a misfire here but i do like the the other section when it's the the verse when they're quieting down you hear that organ really coming through very much yes. of its time yeah um, it's not the word you know i, I we're i'm making yeah I'm making not, a little more hay yeah. of it than possible uh it's still a it's still a thumbs up oh of course of yeah. Tune. yeah and uh an interesting song i'm not sure it quite ever worked or he ever quite you know this the arrangement definitely like uh, gets in the way of it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The it, that guitar and vocal version you're talking about is a little more like, oh, this could, this really could have been something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something there to it, but it just yeah, a little like, much. <laughs> yeah, that's where he's. Uh, he probably just heard this and was like, oh, jeez, <laughs> oh no. But but when he's listening back to it, uh, when he was putting together the, you know, it would be interesting to have heard him re because he he was talking. In the booklet, he says, uh, you know, I almost wanted to read something like I almost wanted to liberate the songs yeah. from the big production that seemed appropriate at the time. But right. now seems a bit over the top with the reverb in the wall of sound. So I think uh, this probably is exhibit A. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. So well, we'll end the side here and end our episode today with uh, talking about the final song on the first record, which is called Run of the Mill.
Well, I think, Dave, this did a little bit of the opposite of what we were just talking about, where I think the arrangement and the music actually uplifts this song, mm. which there's a, a solo uh, sort of demo version on the early takes of this, and it's sort of like doesn't work yeah, for it's, me. It's fast, and it's a little bit kind of ragged. Yeah. yeah. But the horns, the drums, mm-hmm. uh, really fantastic acoustic guitars uh, on this. Once again, kind of a Beatles-related Apple fighting song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but a uh, short song, a 251 compared to Isn't It a Pity, 710. Yeah, a lot of these songs are over four minutes. So this is kind of a sweet closer here. What always struck me in this tune are the rhythmic changes with the, the meter changes with the when to and not to raise their voices. Yeah. It's like very hectic and kind of you know, urgent sound about it. This is very serious, George. This is like very, I don't want to say preaching, but kind of like serious moralistic George here. Uh, yeah. T- telling us stories and telling us about life. Once, yeah, and once again, sort of like not necessarily like including himself in the in the yes, yes, definitely. Like this is a lesson I need to learn of like I I could not raise my voice and get, yeah. and get into the get into the battle and the fight. We need to like learn when to and when not to raise your voice. Right. And also seeing there are times you need to raise your voice. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I I really uh, like the song. The more I read the lyrics to it, mm. too, uh, uh, he said something like the lyric first time I, it seemed like a poem. On, yeah, it's very quotable on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, I really like the song. It's it's over the years. This has really raised up the George song rankings for me. Yeah, yeah. Anytime it comes on, I'm like, all right, yeah, let's yeah, get it's going. It's a good one. So. And I like your like you said. I like the the horns on there, the saxophone and trumpet. And they're kind of uh, in the background playing long notes and kind of it fills it out a little bit without having too much echo and too much wall of sound. It's a nice uh, orchestrational touch. So. And uh, uh, just wanted to mention, in case you haven't heard the George Harrison 1979 uh, album review uh, episode we did track by track, Soft Touch starts with the lick that ends... Oh, yeah. Run of the Mill. Yes, And we played uh, in that episode. I think we played them back to back. You could hear the that that song starts with the same lick. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, a thumbs wow. way up for Run of the Mill for me. Yes. Uh, Dave, uh, uh, how would you rank this? Well, uh, <laughs> it's okay. I'd say it's uh, all like right. a four, maybe a four or five. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's it's great, and it'll. I think the question we want to an- we'll have to ask in our follow up part two of this episode is: Would it have been? Is it kind of the white album question here? Uh, could we have made mm-hmm. a better single album? Or does it really work well as a double? Now we're leaving out the the jam disc, uh, but the but the actual album proper is there some filler or because I, I don't know it's pretty hard. Uh, th- those are pretty satisfying nine songs right there. Yeah, it's uh, hard to know what to kick out. Yeah, uh, there might be one or two songs on the second uh, side yeah. when we get to it that we would rank higher than a couple of the tunes on on this. Maybe let down slips uh, below, say a Beware of Darkness or mm-hmm. something like that, or all things or must let pass. It roll. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but <laughs> hard to hard to know hard what to, to know. kick out, uh, and they're all great. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe not. Yeah, but it certainly is a great first 
part of the album and uh, yeah. extremely strong. So, also wanted to mention the the in the uh, re-release in two thousand one, we also got we, we mentioned uh, "Let It Down," the guitar and vocal version. What is life? The backing track. Yeah, which, which I, just having on in the backing track. I don't know karaoke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do what is life karaoke with this, <laughs> and then the My Sweet Lord two thousand, which I, I've mentioned before that I do not like that version. Yeah, it's sad because it's kind of because George's voice you could tell he was really suffering through that with his uh, sickness by that point. Uh, but it's to me, I don't like the music of it. It sounds like the it's yeah. very pinched slide guitar like too much one of the background singers is like at one point gets like a oh my <laughs> kind of thing that just like also kind of bothers me yeah so. doesn't work not needed not needed <laughs> no, no 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 so but oh man it has sure been fun listening yes, to this all absolutely Dave. absolutely so as we say, the, the the album actually came out in November of 1970, so we'll pick this up again sometime later in the year to uh, finish our review, and hopefully yeah. this will get you going. You can dig in and listen to those, at least that first disc, and really uh, check out what you're hearing. So Now, I wanted to ask Dave a prediction. Yes. Do we get a super deluxe of this sometime this year? Are we, in our next episode of this, are we also trying to shove in a bunch of <laughs> bonus track stuff that comes out? Because there is a lot of stuff that was yes, left on is. the cutting room floor for the album. Uh, some tunes I've never even Yeah, there's uh, a lot heard. of tunes. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, let's see. Window, uh, window. Window, window. Everybody, nobody. Yeah, there's a lot of Nowhere stuff. Nowhere to go. Cosmic Empire. Mm-hmm. Mother Divine. Yeah. <laughs> So. Uh, I would say the chances of getting an All Things Must Pass box set are zero to zero. Uh, none, I think, Okay. sadly. I, I don't know why the the Harrison estate is so stingy on some of these tunes. They gave us a couple of the ones we talked about on Early Takes Volume 1 yeah. that are good, and then that was a long time ago. So. Well, uh, I don't know, Dave. I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's a a, a a bigger than nothing chance. Okay. Okay. Because of the success of the uh, the Beatles releases, now like last year, David the, David Bowie uh, had a one come out that was sort of similar, where it's and I think this is the new trend where you do a five or six disc mm-hmm. with a big long historical booklet for a 50th anniversary of something and that's that's yeah. the that's the uh, trend now so it could be possible they have been stingy in the past so so i'm not gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna bet my house on it but maybe we'll maybe we'll get it maybe not probably by the time we uh do the second part of this uh, we'll know <laughs> yeah I, I would love it i would i'd love to do it because i've cobbled together all of those outtakes and a lot of the other songs through various other means but it would be nice to have the whole thing in context and it would it would be this album certainly deserves it it would be a very nice thing because i we haven't had uh, really all the other harrison releases have just gotten one or two bonus tracks on each disc so very slim now when they the uh vinyl box set came out maybe two three years ago yeah 
that was very expensive, like 500 bucks or whatever. <laughs> they did do separate releases of all these. So there is a pretty yes. good vinyl copy out there for uh, people who uh, want to hear that. So mm-hmm. I was kind of had a half an eye on buying that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when it this, sure uh, came out, but it's like, yeah, it's like 60 bucks still for, yeah. for uh, th- three, uh, three uh, discs, but uh, definitely worth it. So. Yeah. And we should say yeah. you get a you, in the original, and I believe in the the reissue, you get a nice poster of George with his enormous beard. Uh, which you, <laughs> <laughs> you do you like his look on the album with the hair past his? Uh, I guess it's almost on his arms uh, <laughs> and his beard. You like that look? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if that's my favorite George look. My favorite George look, of course, is curly hair with the mustache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the permed. So we, oh yeah, the '79. Yeah, that's yeah, the, that's the perfect one. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, well, very good. So this yeah. has been fun, and we'll look forward to discussing part two when we uh, get to it next. Yeah, so we'll go out with the big hit, or a uh, uh, big, not the big hit, but a yeah. big hit from the record, and that's What Is Life, and we'll uh, talk to you next time.